It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. We are live. We are here in studio and excited about my two guests today. Um, you know, and to kind of give you a little rundown of, you know, why we're here, why we're doing this show, and, and how this kind of works. You know, I developed this show a few years ago really out of the necessity that I love talking to really smart people who are interested in talent, who are doing really talented things, and trying to find out their secrets, find out what they're doing. So we can take them back. We can use them in our own companies, in our own lives. And I generally meet these people at uh, conferences or places where I've been speaking or, or doing work myself. Um, and so instead of me having, you know, being the only person that gets to hear the cool things they have to say, um, we thought, let's do a radio show and have them come in and talk about it and so everyone can hear. There's been so many wonderful stories, so many great examples, so many uh, fantastic companies that have come through here in the last five years. Uh, in fact, I wrote a best-selling book called The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that book out. Uh, some of our best stories, some of the best examples were, were in there along with a narrative about my company and the things that we went through. Um, you can check that book out on Amazon. Uh, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, unless I'm playing hooky or gone somewhere, but we're, we're pretty much live here every week. And um, you can... Uh, access us, though, how most people do, which is, you know, we have some people come in and, and are able to come in and hear us uh, live, but most of you listen to the podcast on, whether you're on iTunes, you're on iHeart, you're on uh, Stickter, you're on wherever you find your podcast, we're there. Uh, love to have you subscribe and listen. We have over 10,000 of you a day who are downloading podcasts. Big thank you to everyone who's a part of the show and regularly listening. So one of the things we love to also do is have our uh, listeners be a part of the action here, and we do that on Twitter. So if you have a question, you have a comment, you have a guest suggestion, uh, you want to chime in on something that was said, even if it's after the fact, um, find us on uh, Twitter, at PeopleG2. You can use that hashtag Talent Talk. And there you will see uh, my producer, Mike, he does a great job of live tweeting the show. We get some of the best comments, the best little uh, tidbits, and you can go in there and kind of add your two cents on some of that stuff or send us a direct message. All right, well, let's, uh, we got the business done here, um, and uh, make sure you uh, visit us at talenttalkradio.com if you need to, but I think we can go ahead and bring in uh, our, our, our guest today. Um, we're going to bring my first guest, who will be Alan um, Allard, the founder and president of Genius Dynamics, and after the commercial break, we'll bring in Scott Haig, the chief operating officer at Cornerstone Staffing. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, get to it. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's so good to be with you. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and, of course, tell us more about Genius Dynamics. Uh, I would love to do that. Uh, the first thing that I would say about myself is that um, 
I am married to my high school sweetheart. We met when I was 16 and she was 15, married after a year of college. And we have two daughters, uh, two sons-in-laws, and five grandchildren, uh, all under the age of five. So it all happened within about the past four and a half years. And I feel like I won the lottery with uh, every single one of them. Well, that's fantastic, and you and I didn't have something in common. We both married our high school sweethearts, so. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't you don't find that uh, too often, but uh, that's uh, that's a a wonderful thing. Yeah, both marrying a high school sweetheart and then still being married it is a rare thing to find. So, well, well that is true, and I'll credit my uh, wife with that one. <laughs> I know one of your roles is to coach uh, sales managers and leaders on, you know, how to coach their teams and not just manage or, or, or lead them. But can you talk about the difference between coaching versus managing or, or leading? Sure. The, um, the differences really aren't uh, as many as the commonality if the leadership, the management, and the coaching uh, are all done well. So my definition of coaching, and there's literally – you know, about 100 out there. But I see coaching as a relationship and a process that unleashes the performance and the potential and the well-being of the individual or the team that you're coaching. And that's really what, you know, leaders and managers are aspiring to do. So whatever someone has the title of, if they're effective, uh, that's the end result. So if someone is leading ineffectively, then as a leader or as a, co- a manager, what they tend to do is to fall into the trap of being a problem solver. They have, you know, the experience, the judgment, that's what got them there, hopefully. And so when someone on their team comes to them, instead of saying, okay, I need to develop this person, I need to help them to slow down and think this, this through, come up with some options and solutions that they likely know but just haven't taken the time to uh, access, so I need to ask questions and help them to find out how much they know, how capable they are, and then ask them what do they want to do, and then hold them accountable. If we fall into the trap of being a problem solver, I say, well, you know, here's what I would suggest you do. And then I end up feeling good about myself. They go away, um, not feeling so great maybe about my suggestions, and now they're uh, in the same place or worse off than what they uh, arrived at. Well, it sounds like you have a pretty good understanding on how to connect and get with people. I know in your your uh, current in your uh, prior or to your current role, you worked uh, ten years as a therapist, which is certainly a, probably mm-hmm. a, a bit of a shift. So, what sort of insights did this provide you in understanding of leadership and human performance? Well, interestingly enough, it wasn't uh, that big of a shift, and here's why. I'll give you three things uh, that I learned, and the way that I got into coaching and training and development is I had clients who were coming to me for uh, personal challenges that might have been in their marriage or maybe some burnout or depression or anxiety. And as they began to uh, uh, improve, they began taking those things to work. And they said, hey, can you come you know, do a workshop for us or can you work with me uh, at my company? And so I discovered three things. And one of them was what I call my leadership mantra. And I would say to my clients, even as a therapist, listen, if you fail to reach your goals that you came to me for, I failed, not you. And the reason why that is so powerful for leaders is when we look in the mirror, we can 
improve, we can learn something. If I simply say to someone on the team or an employee, you know, these were your uh, mandates, these were your goals, and you didn't reach them, so you failed, then I don't get to be a better leader. If I say, you know, what skill am I lacking? Or maybe there was something lacking in my ability to connect and to inspire that person. You know, what can I do to get better at that? If I don't do that, then I don't learn anything. So the leadership mantra of it's my fault, not your fault, if you fail, was one thing. And when, I, when leaders begin to operate from that mindset, uh, the people around them, you know, just breathe a sigh of relief because they're used to having the finger pointed at them. And so now they're feeling more energy to work with that leader. The second thing that I learned from people when I was a therapist that is so applicable to the workplace is that too many people sell themselves short. You, you've heard the term imposter syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So more people and, and even C-level uh, leaders struggle this uh, with this than people realize. And it's just the feeling of, you know, everyone seems to think I'm so talented or I can do so much, but, you know, I, 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 I'm just scared that they're going to find out I'm not as good as they think. Now, I know a lot of leaders have the opposite problem, but not as many as selling themselves short. So if leaders can realize that most people sell themselves short and have a drive and a commitment to help that person to see their potential, to develop their confidence, and to succeed, their leadership impact is just going to skyrocket because everyone is going to be around them. They're going to listen to them. They're going to want to be a part of their vision and go on that journey with them. And then the third, go ahead. No, I was going to say, is that what you feel like really limits leaders? Is that imposter syndrome idea that they don't, they're not good enough to be in that position they're in or they're not smart enough to be making these decisions? Is that really kind of where they're stumbling? Yeah, uh, far more leaders than what people ever realize because, you see, we see the exterior. And obviously someone doesn't get in a senior leadership position by not having a certain level of confidence. But leadership uh, can be very isolating. I mean, where does the leader go uh, to talk about what they're struggling with or their doubts or some of their fears? You, you wrote an article uh, that I read on LinkedIn talking about leaders who you know, are afraid of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then they pass that fear on to their people, and that becomes a part of the culture. Well, if, if a leader is struggling with um, making a mistake, if they're driven by this sense of perfectionism, then who are they going to talk to about that? Yeah, probably. They can't go to their board. Probably nobody. <laughs> exactly. So, so they have to keep it to themselves. So when I would have senior-level executives sitting in my you know, office, back as a therapist and now as a coach and they would you know get real with me and they would say everyone just thinks i walk on water but they don't know when i you know go to bed at night i'm second guessing myself some of the time and i don't know whether to fire this person or you know this next hire is going to be a critical decision or i have to face my board and i have to uh justify some decisions that i've made and i could lose my job they struggle with all of those things but when they get up to speak or they're leading a meeting they're not, of course, talking about any of that. They're projecting their confidence. So if leaders can realize that the people that they're around, and even on their primary team, they may be very competent people, very skilled, and very high-performing people, but 
they have some doubts, they have some fears, and if the leader can model for them, listen, uh, you know, I can talk about some questions I have, I can talk about some doubts that I have, I'm talking about in, to the appropriate people at the appropriate time, then they allow their people to do that. You know, when um, the, the former CEO of Ford came in to turn around the company, Alan, now I'm forgetting his last name, was it Mulhaney? that sound right? Maybe. Go okay, ahead. But, <laughs> but, you know, he was extraordinarily successful, but he walked into a culture where no one could admit that they were struggling. No one could admit that they weren't hitting their goals. And he kept coming back to that until finally someone stood up in a meeting and said, okay, we're really having a problem with, you know, this and this and don't know what to do about it. And Alan got up and he applauded the person. And he said, that's exactly what I want. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have everything figured out. We don't have to always be succeeding with something. We're here to help each other. But first, we have to admit that we're struggling with something. Well, why don't people admit that they're struggling with something and ask for help? Because they're looking around saying all these other people are at the top of their game. They're uber successful. And so I better not show any weakness. So people sell themselves short. They have struggles. They have doubts more than what leaders realize. And the more of a safe environment that we can create where people can uh, talk about those things, then we can address them, we can give each other the help that we need, find solutions, and then get to that next level. Yeah, and, and that's and that's super important that we can have those conversations with our our people, with our leaders feel comfortable in having those conversations with someone, right? Whether it's an outside person, it's a consultant, it's a CEO group, but they have somewhere they can right. go to 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 have those conversations and to 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 talk about that in a real an intentional way, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not saying that you know a CEO or a president of a division, you know, is going to get up and say, "Hey, I've been feeling burned out lately." That would not be appropriate, but they need someone. It could be a coach, it could be a therapist, it could be uh, a trusted uh, best friend. They need somewhere to go. But the point for leaders to take away from this is that the people around them are usually struggling with something. If they're not struggling with something now, they're going to be. It could be at work or it could be in their personal life. And they're selling themselves short. They're lacking in some level of confidence they're losing some of their um, inner energy because they don't know where to go with that. They don't know where to turn. And so if the leader can be that person that says, listen, you know, you can tell me anything because I respect you. I know your track record. I believe in you. And so you can tell me anything that you might be having a problem with, and we're going to figure out some solutions together. That is a powerful environment to be in. Well, and that really sounds like an evolution of a person that, you know, has kind of figured that out or gotten, to, you know, to a, a, another point. You know, is there sort of a, maybe a benchmark in your mind as you're working with these different people inside of organizations where you kind of feel like they've achieved their next level of success, where you feel like they've graduated or, I don't know, this sounds cheesy, but achieved some bit of enlightenment, right, at some, some point where they've, they've gotten a lot better? Do you kind of have a benchmark for that? Well, those are the benchmarks that I would set with a client or a team. We have to get very, very clear on, you know, what is your definition of success or that next level and be as definitive and concrete as possible. 
so that we know uh, how to measure progress as we're going along and we know that we've reached it in cells you know the the benchmark of course would certainly be a certain level of cells but if someone is saying uh, you know I just need to I, I need to be a more effective leader because I tend to be a little too direct with people I tend to be a little too hard on them then we have to define okay what behaviors would you like to have and then we would have to ask the people around them you know how is that person doing because we can overestimate how well we're doing and that's not good for anyone but if we have our own clear definition and understanding of what that next level would be and then we can match our progress or where we're at against that next level and then if we need uh, to ask people around us what they see in terms of performance and progress we can get a clear answer to have we reached that success and so for you it's defining that in advance or is not some you know change in, in uh, that maybe you might expect them to see that they may not even be you know be even be aware of right they might not even be able to see or understand in advance um, right Right, because again, you know, leaders uh, can be isolated and insulated. The higher up someone goes, the less often the people around them are really going to speak their mind uh, in a real open way. And so the leaders are hearing an edited version when they ask, how am I doing? Or, you know, what do you think about my strengths and what do you think about my weaknesses? And so they have to develop that relationship with people around them where they're really going to get the truth and you know that's a challenging task to do uh, because leaders you know often feel compelled to be in control and to always set the perfect example and again see that goes to uh, someone who is struggling with something and it's very hard for them to admit that to anyone but mm -hmm. it goes on all the time right right and, th and that really can be uh, I guess case by case, but it's important, as you said, you're sort of setting those uh, those things up front and identifying, you know, what does success look like? What does that end look like? What where where are we trying to go? Um, which is a level of transparency, but it's also you know a level of just basic goal setting, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so, and so you have to have you know very very clear goals. Oftentimes, you know, when I ask someone what their goals are, are they will tell me you know a vision, uh, more the end result. So if someone says, well, I want to improve my performance, what can we do with that? That is too general. If they say, uh, let's say in sales, I want to make prospecting my core activity and fit everything else around them, now we have a goal and a benchmark for success that is getting more clear. Well, how much time do you want to uh, devote to prospecting? What would your behaviors be like? And they might say, well, you know, I'm going to work in 30-minute uh, chunks or 45-minute chunks without taking a break. And I'm not going to have any interruptions. I'm not going to check my email. I'm just going to make those calls. So now we have more clear understanding. And I can ask them, let's say, you know, in two weeks' time, okay, well, what was your behavior? Exactly how did things go? And we can know if we're getting closer to that next level of success or not because it's that clear. Right, right. Well, you know, if we sort of, we, we look at, uh, we can set these goals, we can have these 
um, you know, very clear objectives on what we want to do, where we want to go. But that doesn't necessarily mean that someone will be able to execute, right? There are those people that sure. are our top performers, um, mm -hmm. and you know, not everyone. I guess in a perfect world, everyone could be a top performer, but um, that doesn't seem to be reality. So. You know, at the at the heart of it, though, what do you think drives those top performers? What's the slight difference between those people and everyone else in the organization who may be trying and maybe doing their best, but you know, aren't your top five percent or one percent or whatever it may be? Yeah, that's <clears throat> yeah. That we could take a long time talking about that. So I'll <laughs> be as concise as I can, and it's such a you know pivotal question. So let let me say first of all, let, let's get some basics. Uh, out of the way, let's just assume that those are there, that the person has the talent, the IQ, and the foundational skills for a certain job uh, requirement. You know, you're not going to be a brain surgeon without a certain IQ or a certain, certain talent set. So if all of that is uh, assumed and there's a right fit between the person and that job, I would say three things separate the top performers uh, from everyone else. Uh, the first is they have... Uh, a compelling vision that is theirs. It came from within. It wasn't given to them uh, by the leadership of the company. It's something that is exciting to them. So they've answered the question, what do I want and why do I want it? So they have that compelling vision. Secondly, they have a level of confidence that others just don't have. One of the things that people don't understand about high performers is they have an incredible amount of confidence. Now, I said earlier that people sell themselves short, and, and believe me, high performers struggle with selling themselves short and doubts and fears uh, more than a lot of people think. But when it comes to the core behaviors and the things that they uh, have to execute for success, like calling on a CEO, and sitting and having a conversation with him or her and feeling like a peer, feeling like an equal, they have incredible confidence for that. And so we will never be able to perform at the level that we want unless we have enough of the belief that we're capable and it's not only possible, but it's very likely that if we put in the effort, we're going to get the success that we want. So high performers just have more confidence than other people. And again, you know, it, whether it's a, a CEO or a senior executive giving a speech before a group or a salesperson calling on a, a senior executive in a company, they feel comfortable. They know that they have the skills. They know that they have the ability and they expect to succeed and expect to get the outcome that they want. And, and you just can't replace confidence. Well, yeah, and, and, where the, and where that confidence comes from, I think, is we could debate all day long, right? Is it the training and is it uh, the way their culture works or did they, were they born with it, right? Did they show up with it? Um, yeah. You know, or is there some combination of that? It, it, those, those are critically important. They, they have to have confidence in their skills. Uh, they have to have the training, the technical understanding and the knowledge, but the, the confidence that they have that really sets them apart is they have incredible uh, sense of self-positive regard. Mm -hmm. They have incredible self-respect. So while others uh, are criticizing themselves far more, 
the high performer uh, is complimenting themselves. A high performer uh, can, uh, let's say that they have a goal to, to hit a million dollars in sales and they do 900,000. Uh, the person with less confidence is going to criticize themselves for not doing that and they're going to pick themselves as a part as to what they didn't do and all the things that they didn't do. The high performer is going to say, you know, the year before I did 800,000, that's tremendous growth. And the reason why I got 900,000 is because I improved my ability to ask questions and I was a little bit more bold mm -hmm. and the reason why I didn't do a million and the reason why I did 900,000 is because of, and, and they're going to come up with a reason that is not critical of themselves. So they feel incredible about themselves and their potential and their ability, and they keep fueling. Right. That. Yeah, with a good perspective, it sounds like. So, yeah. Well, Alan, we've uh, gone through this very, very quickly here, and we are at the end here before we need to hop to a commercial break. I want to make sure we ask you our final question, and how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and possibly working with uh, Genius Dynamics? The best way, uh, Chris, is just to go to my website, and that is under my name, so www.alanallard, A-L-A-N-A-L-L-A-R-D, alanallard.com. Fantastic, Alan. Hopefully we can have you come back and we can keep the conversation going at some point and hear about all the other cool things that you're doing. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. It was a pleasure, Chris. All right, we'll be right back after a quick commercial break and bring in my second guest, Scott Haig. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, Alan Allard, uh, you can listen to his interview by going to talenttalkradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find your podcasts. We'll get that turned into that podcast here in the next week or so and have it up and live and available for anyone who wants to go back and listen or catch it. So uh, my next guest is Scott Haig, uh, the Chief Operating Officer at Cornerstone Staffing. Uh, as a reminder, if you want to be a part of the conversation Go ahead and get on Twitter, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. It's not just for fighting and politics. It's also for having a discussion about Talent Talk. So Twitter has another purpose. But um, anyways, let's go ahead and bring uh, Scott into the show. Scott, welcome. Chris, thanks for, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and, of course, what are you guys doing over there at Cornerstone Staffing? You bet, you bet. Uh, so I actually got my start in kind of the staffing recruiting world about uh, 20, 23 years ago. So I'm, I'm definitely not new, 
new to the game. Um, still, still remember that day, uh, all those years ago, um, handing that employee that first check. It was, it was the hardcore, uh, entry level stuff. Um, work today, paid today, and, and I remember handing the check and the amount to this day, $46.25, and in and, and that look of gratitude on, on that gentleman's face, and, and I, was, I was hooked. It was, it was definitely something I was passionate about and, and having a, an ability to, to kind of play uh, a part in success of that individual was, was something that uh, still pushes me uh, to this day. So that was kind of my start and flash forward 23 years later and still in, uh, still in the game and, and working at Cornerstone uh, as a COO and, and uh, uh, really fell in love with this company years ago, long before I ever came on. It's, you know, it's a, a professional company um, that really specializes in the direct hire, temp to hire and, and temporary staffing and, and really all industries. Um, from the C-suite to, to, to entry-level positions. So a full-service uh, company, and, and uh, uh, I've always been a fan of, of Brooke McAlpin, who's the, the owner, and, and it was a great fit for me coming over uh, and working with all the, the great people over here. And we might want to try to get you to speak a little bit louder if the phone is, you know, not at, all the way up against your mouth there. I just want to make sure we're not uh, maxing out our channels over here. But um, I certainly understand and, you know, uh, have a great uh, empathy for the work that you have to do, the incredible work that has to be done for a staffing company, especially in direct, you know, direct hire, to do well and to be respected and to be, uh, you know, successful. Uh, it is a, a tough business, but a good business. Uh, you know, it's a lot of our probably our biggest vertical for my company is helping staffing companies. So we have a really, you know, kind of deep understanding of the challenges and things that you guys do. So for you to be in it for 23 years is a real testament to probably the work that you're doing and uh, your love of, of, of that industry. Um, cause it's, it, it's not all, it's not all, uh, roses and, and perfume, right? I mean, there, <laughs> it's a, it can be a tough industry to, to do work in. Well, for sure, we're we're working with people, right? Uh, yeah. So things change, and 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 it can change on on a dime. And right now, um, you know that war for talent is intense, and you know the, the, there's such a a skills gap and a talent gap, and, and truly a numbers gap, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we don't have enough people to to, to fill all the positions, and uh, we feel it um, here in Nebraska as, as well. And uh, unemployment numbers are incredibly low. Um, you know the the lowest in um, in history, and for us, um, you know that makes it uh, a little bit tougher. So it's a it's a consistent, constant battle, and, and one that's going to continue to to intensify for sure. So as we you know sort of weed through this war on for talent right now, um, you know wh- how does talent management play into that? You know how do we how do we manage people and 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 make the most of that as we're maybe not able to fill in every position that we want to. Well, for me, it's the most important piece, right? It's it's the people. So, when you talk about the company, the the people are the the, the most important uh, asset in my opinion. So, how do we effectively attract? How do we effectively manage, uh, engage, uh, and develop those people, right? And how do we differentiate ourselves from the competition so that we can keep those people? Because right now we're we're swapping, right? We're robbing Peter to pay Paul uh, and moving talent around. Right, and the goal is how do we continue to develop our own people and engage them to a, a place where they want to stay with my company, right? How do we put them on a career path that makes sense for them and continue to develop them so that they want to stay with the company? So the talent management side of things and the people 
side of things is uh, is easily the most important piece as far as um, as I'm concerned, for sure. Right, absolutely, and that's it's such an important part, and it works hand in hand with working with any good staffing company, making sure you can fill those positions and manage your people the best you can. Maybe what are some of the key differentiators for you and your community in regards to talent? You know, what kind of sets apart one company from another? Like what you know, what, what what is Cornerstone really doing that maybe sets you guys apart from you know another staffing company around the corner? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, that company culture, right? How, how are we engaging those people? What are we doing to develop uh, those individuals? Do we have opportunities for them as we continue to move forward? You know, benefits are always uh, a piece of the puzzle, right? What, what do you have on the back side of things as far as the salary, you know, the compensation, the total package? That's, that's always going to be uh, a part of it. But a lot of what we see today is talk to me about your development. Talk to me about career passing. Um, how do I make an impact, not only at your company, but also in the community I live, you know, work and play in? How can I uh, be impactful in that space? And so the differentiator is, is how do we engage uh, our employees to, to do those things, right? You know, how do we have an inclusive atmosphere? How can we make sure that these individuals get to bring their, their whole selves to work? And, and um, having kind of a corporate stop here um, for about six years in between a lot of the staffing, that was a part of what um, uh, was a good additional learning tool for myself. Uh, and I had worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield prior to this stop, and, and that was one of the things that they really pushed was that inclusive atmosphere, which um, uh, I really liked, and, and it's something we want to make sure that we're continuing to, to utilize for moving forward because that, that is and can be a differentiator for us in, in not only attracting the right talent, uh, but keeping um, you know, uh, that right talent as well. And have you seen companies engaging in that kind of, you know, talent uh, perspective? And, you know, has it changed over the years from your perspective? For sure. Yeah. I mean, people are, uh, because of um, the tight talent market, are, are making decisions on what do we have to do differently to, again, keep the, the, the talent that we have, that institutional knowledge that we've created over these years. How do we keep those uh, people in fold? And, and how do we change um, either the relationships with uh, our individuals or how do we engage them differently to ensure that they want to, to stick around, right? And so I think when you talk about those people and those relationships, um, who are the kind of people that you want around, right? You want empathetic leaders, you know, individuals that are going to um, be engaged with um, and focus on their talent. You want wellness offerings that have things that recognize your employees, that have uh, maybe a flexible work schedule, or there's rewards um, with your wellness program, um, specific training and development uh, programs. Um, I, I think engaging, mean, meaning asking the question, right, how do we go to our employees and how do we gather information and how do we um, make sure that we take that information and actually do something about it. Just don't take that uh, employee opinion survey or gather information and then let it sit. How do we actually say, hey, we heard you, we're going to do something about it. So I, I think that's the, the most important piece is you're, you're not only engaging these individuals, but you're making sure that you're making strides for moving forward that show um, that you care uh, and that you want to continue um, you know, down that pathway. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many different ways that we can can go about doing that. Um, but uh, it is company by company. It is interesting that this rise in engagement has correlated to, you know, a tighter job market. And maybe that has fast forwarded things or sped things up a little bit, which is a good thing. Um, and you know, the next time it's not like this, there will be ebbs and flows in the, in the market. You know, how will that change engagement, right? Will people get lax? Will they slow down? Will they, you know, not worry about it as much if they can just easily go grab, you know, someone off the unemployment rolls? I hope not, but who knows? I guess we'll, we'll wait to have to find that one out. <laughs> right. Yeah. One of the things I want to ask you was how, you know, about uh, sort of local resources and nonprofits and, you know, the things that we're doing with students and, and helping them develop careers and such as things like STEM, you know, um, if, it does, if anyone doesn't have a kid in school and doesn't know what STEM is, that's science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, you know, what are some of those things that you're seeing that maybe can help if people are getting, you know, career exposure and experience in these different areas early on as students, right, as they begin to come into the job market? Yeah, um, we're, we're going to get into something I'm like I'm really passionate about now. So uh, I, I, I love staffing and all that goes with it. Um, but when we start talking about uh, like experience and exposure and, and the opportunity to kind of to, to show students, hey, there are things out there. Uh, maybe it doesn't require a four-year uh, college degree. Maybe it's a two-year technical trade. Maybe there's some on-the-job training. There's a lot of different things that, that can be done for students that, that maybe don't have a desire to be a doctor or a lawyer uh, or something that we, we all uh, talked about especially as I was growing up, right? That was that was the that was the, the pathway was uh, you go to a four year college and, and that's the way you move mm-hmm. forward. Well there's so many fields uh, when you talked about the STEM uh, side of things, there's so many opportunities in that skilled labor uh, market for individuals to come out and make really good money, right? Um, we're talking sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year in some of these skilled trade uh, areas. Um, and in a lot of cases half the cost to go to school, half the time uh, spent too, right? Uh, but there, there's local resources like um, the Dream It Do It um, chapters, the Skills USA, uh, Avenue Scholars. Um, these are all programs that really focus on kind of what you mentioned, that experience, that exposure, right? Opportunities to go out uh, and do some on-the-job training or to, to go out and um, work with, from a job shadowing perspective, individuals in a space to see, is, is this really what they're teaching me in the classroom? Is this what uh, I'm hearing? Or in a lot of cases, I don't know anything about it because we aren't talking about it in uh, the classrooms because we're so focused on, um, you know, testing and, and those kind of things and, and not um, some of the real-world applications uh, for our students. So. Um, these kind of programs, the Dream of Do It's and the Skills USA and Avenue Scholars, they're creating opportunities for students to get some experience, to get some exposure at a young enough age to where they can make a decision what makes sense for them for, for kind of moving forward. And, and I think one of the other pieces I really love about it is is trying to get in front of the parents and the guidance counselors, right? I mean, let's face it, the counselors are, are, are overwhelmed in the school system by uh, number of students. Um, and so from a per capita perspective, uh, they have way too many students to be able to, to really and truthfully point them in the right directions or what potentially makes sense for them. So these programs are kind of helping from that uh, area to say, hey, here are some additional things to consider. Uh, by the way, 
we'll help you. Um, we'll guide them towards this experience. We'll guide them um, to that uh, that exposure uh, with the companies that are our partners. Um, and we want to get in front of the parents, too, so that they have a good understanding uh, of, hey, these things are available for your kids. Um, and guess what? It is a great career. It's not a job. It's a fantastic career with a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and that's really great. I mean, I... If you, if you just, this is a pretty simple example, but you know, when I went back to my high school reunion, uh, the last few that we've had, um, you know, some of the, some of the people that were, if you want to call them the most successful or making the most amount of money, uh, I would say, you know, three quarters of them were not a doctor, a lawyer. They were not a traditional, uh, thing. They, some of them were in, uh, computer programming, right? And then that is a particular path. Uh, one of them owned a plumbing company and another one owned an electrician, was an electrician owned a company. Um, and they were killing it, right? And, and they didn't necessarily, uh, take that traditional path, but they went and had, you know, very good skill and turned that into a very good business and have, have done very, very well for themselves. And so, you know, there's a lots of different ways if you want to be a success. It's a, I always say it's about, you know, finding not only your passion, but finding that thing you're really good at that people are willing to pay you to do. Um, and, and whatever that is, even if it isn't the thing that society tells you you're supposed to be, uh, you ought to be doing that because um, that's a lot more fun to do and you can make a lot more money doing it. I, it, listen, I can I can agree more, and I and I think um, I know there's a ton of people out there like me that four-year college was what it was, and and I headed that direction, and as it turns out, they were you know super into me going to class and stuff, and I I wasn't as much, and so <laughs> as it as it turns out, they, they didn't like that, and I found out that's not my path, right? That's not the way I want to go, but but I knew that I wanted to help people, and and um, like I say, that that first check handing out was where I found that I wanted to be in that space. And that's what you hope that I would have maybe gotten some experience or some, some exposure to something like that at an earlier age and um, probably saved my parents uh, a lot of heartache and, and, and definitely a little bit of coin, um, you know, uh, for having gone through that. So um, if mom and dad are listening, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, I think we all have those uh, college stories, or some of us do, I guess, but... Uh, what are some of the, if we kind of turn back here to the staffing part, one of the things I want to make sure we asked you before we uh, had to end it was, you know, looking at creative ways uh, to source candidates, you know, and looking at different candidate pools. This is something we've seen a lot of our clients talking about recently. And I'm just wondering if you guys are, you know, looking at it that way uh, you know, as far as targeting, you know, veterans, maybe targeting uh, students, targeting refugees, targeting, you know, particular groups of people inside of, you know, subsets that maybe are going to help you, um, you know, meet those talent goals, help your clients, you know, meet their goals in, in hiring new people. You know, are there some things that you you guys are looking at doing? Yeah. Um, yes, for sure. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of great programs out there uh, in that space as well, too. And when you talk about, uh, like, military, for instance, um, you know, there's some really good programs like TAP, uh, the tra Transition Assistance Program, um, that is um, run through here off at Air Force Base. Um, but um, you can get involved in those areas. And I think there's, there's a lot of missed opportunities for individuals um, kind of in that space because, we kind of don't think speak the same language, right? You know, they have some some very great skill sets that they pick up in the military, uh, and then when they come to look at job descriptions and information out here in the the quote unquote real world, we don't have the same concept, right? So a, a, a technician or a mechanic that was working on a tank um, has a different set of uh, words or skill sets that they 
talk about or speak of, but it, you know what? It works really well for working on heavy equipment, for instance, in, um, you know, Caterpillar equipment or uh, large heavy equipment like that. Um, and if you kind of start learning to speak some of that same language or transitioning some of that information so it uh, makes sense for both sides, um, you're amazed at that additional talent pool, right? Uh, and that goes... Uh, in a lot of different areas there. And so part of it is is just kind of um, having uh, or understanding the experience that these individuals have because there's a great talent pool of individuals um, that uh, are coming out of the, the military, for instance. Um, when we talk, again, about students, right, there's great programs like we talked about before, the Avenue Scholars and those kind of things that um, you can bring them in from an intern perspective. It's a great experience for them, but also gives you an opportunity um, to bring someone in and and show them, um, you know, about your company and the way you do things. Um, and you may find that hey, these are this is an individual I want to hire, right? So um, that's the inexperienced individual that you're kind of training um, up in, in an on-the-job training kind of a, um, you know, way. And so uh, there's a lot of different things like that that we uh, are, are trying to engage in and, and get a hold of individuals like that. Um, you mentioned refugee uh, as well. Um, there are a lot of individuals, you know, we have a high refugee population in um, the, the city of Omaha here, 25,000 or so, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, these are individuals that um, are um, vetted uh, by the federal government and coming in and, and completely work ready uh, and ready to go. And in a lot of cases have some great experience as well, uh, too. And I, and I think sometimes there's misconception uh, in that space and, and so I would I would just urge people to educate themselves about um, refugees and, and how that uh, program works uh, and I think they would be surprised because there's also a great talent pool of individuals uh, there as well too. Yeah and with that group and with the veteran group you're talking about taking someone's previous experiences which aren't exactly aligned with maybe the job position but if you can use a little bit of development you can use a little bit of, of translation you can connect the dots, right, to what someone did before, that they're able to e either easily step into a new role and doing something different with the same skill set uh, or get a little bit of training and be able to very quickly get up to speed and, and, and do do a great job at the work that we need them to do. Um, and they often just need an inter you know, some intermediary or a leader or someone to help develop them, uh, you know, to get to that point. Um, which, which sort of gives me curious, if maybe what are some of the things that you guys do internally in your own business um, to develop leaders? Yeah, I, I think the big myth for a lot of people is, and we're starting to see companies start to make the shift a little bit, uh, and, and, and what we're doing too is, is that before we said, hey, um, here are the 10 boxes that need to be checked for this individual to work here, right? Uh, and, and we're getting to the point where we know that, hey, we're going to have to settle for seven of those boxes being checked, and we're going to have to upskill that individual for the last three boxes. Uh, and so, you know, we're working with, like, local university here um, to um, come up with different ways for do tuition reimbursement and those kind of things so that we can say, all right, we've got someone here with seven boxes uh, checked. Um, we're going to help you from a tuition perspective get those last three boxes checked, right? So uh, we're helping and uh, rolling out some programs to do that for uh, our external clients. Uh, internally, we want to do the same thing. We want to offer uh, that same uh, for our internal, but also for as we're continuing to grow and the people we're bringing on, um, looking at individuals that um, are a great fit for us because I'm a firm believer in fit 
right? Finding someone that's a great fit for us, and then um, we'll upskill the individual to the necessary uh, skills that we need to do the job uh, efficiently and to give our candidates and our clients a great experience. Um, but we have to find that right uh, fit for sure. Right, right. Well, one of the things we love to ask uh, our guests is about uh, books. So I'm wondering if there's a book that uh, you're reading now or maybe one that you typically suggest people check out uh, for their own uh, leadership development. Yeah. So I, I actually kind of, I guess I segued pretty good into it then. So we're, <laughs> uh, I, back at uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and then continuing forward and reading it again, um, The Ideal Team Player by um, Patrick uh, Lencioni, um, it talks a lot about fit, right, and making sure that you have uh, the right people on the uh, on the bus, so to speak, as you're kind of moving forward and finding the right people. Um, he, he uses the words humble, hungry, and smart, um, which is kind of talks a lot about like the humility, the self motivation, and, and having you know, not smart as intelligent, but smart about people, uh, and kind of having that common sense about uh, people and, and finding people that kind of fit all three of those. Um, uh, spaces and saying, all right, these are the people that we want to put um, on the bus as we're moving forward, and, and these are the individuals that make sense for us that are going to help us drive our business. So that's the, the, the most recent book, anyway, and kind of going back through it again uh, because it's just such an important piece of, uh, of what we want to do for moving forward, and, and uh, we've got some, some grand uh, plans for, for moving forward, and that takes great people, and uh, so this is a book that really kind of hits home for me, um, especially in the moment. Well, uh, real important question, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, learning more about Cornerstone Staffing, and possibly working with you? Sure, sure. Um, of course, LinkedIn is, is the favorite place to be for a lot of people from a business perspective, right? So I'm, uh, I am on LinkedIn. Um, they can reach out to me directly um, from an email perspective. Uh, it is scott.hag at cornerstonestaffinginc.com. Um, that as well, and, and um, uh, it sounds like this is going to be uh, taped as well, too. So um, if they don't catch it here, they can, they can sure catch it there. Well, great. Scott, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool stuff you and your company are doing. I appreciate it. Really really good to talk to you, Chris. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, next Bye. week we'll bring in uh, one of my uh, favorite people, uh, as an American who lit, does a lot of work out in Amsterdam and Europe, uh, Ralph Weichel, president of the Corporation of Positive Change, and also Bob Larkin, the leadership development instructor and executive coach. So, Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.